Welcome to Restoration Road Online. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Good morning, everybody. Uh, I would say thanks for braving the snow to come out this morning, but you guys got none and I got all of it. So I noticed the second you hit 495, it's gone. It's probably only in my parking lot. Um, but it's beautiful and I love it. I hope everybody had a Merry Christmas. I hope you guys all had a great week. Um, and before we get into our topic today, I just want to say I've really loved this series so far. I love the Apostles' Creed. I love that we're getting into core belief and doctrine and we're exploring it and we're saying, you know, these are the things we believe and this is why we believe them. Because it's really easy to say, oh yeah, I believe in that. But then when somebody says why, you're like, I don't know. Because? Because pastor told me to. Um, there, there's some beauty in the Apostles' Creed um, because when we say it and when we, when we recite it and when we say these are the things we believe, you know, we're drawing a line in the sand, the same line the apostles drew and were eventually killed for. So it's really cool that our voices, when we say the Apostles' Creed, echo with all the voices throughout the history of Christianity. You know, we're in that choir, that multitude, those millions of people who have said it before us. Um, and, and it's beautiful because we can look to the martyrs that have died for these beliefs and say, you died for this, and we believe it too. So it puts us in a place that puts us in unity with all of those who have come before us in Christ, all those who will come after us in Christ, um, and it brings unity to the body. So I've really loved this series. I'm really glad we got to do it. Um, we're going to be talking about the last line in the Apostles' Creed, which is the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. These are kind of difficult topics. Remember, please, I'm just the messenger. Don't shoot arrows at me. Remember, Joey will be back next week. You can take it up with him. Uh, <laughs> I'm just joking. I love these topics. They're very fun. Um, it's actually one of the biggest topics on campus at the Bible College I work at recently. So it was like the Lord was just preparing me to be up here. Um, we're going to be looking at three topics specifically. The resurrection of the body, Life eternal, like I said. We're also going to be taking a look at the uh, blessed hope, which leads us to both of those things, as Dave just wrote, read in Titus for us. Before we really get into it, um, how was your week? You guys have a good week leading up to Christmas? Does anybody else think it should be illegal for Christmas to be on a Saturday? Like, that's a weekday thing, right? Like, going through the week and waiting to get to Christmas was the worst thing ever. Because we got to, like, Thursday, I'm like, Christmas is coming. And then I went, Christmas is coming. And I freaked out a little bit because now I have things to do. So I'm busy all week. I get to Thursday. I'm busy for Christmas. Christmas Eve hits. I go, I'm preaching Sunday. So then I'm busy throughout Christmas. I already had my sermon done, but that's not going to stop me from freaking out about it for a whole day. Um, getting it peer-reviewed and rewriting it four times. That's just, that's normal things for me. Um, and then once Saturday night hits, I'm going, Man, my mother-in-law is coming on Monday. I'm going to have to do that. Then I got work coming up. The semester starts again in January. And I'm already three weeks out thinking about being busy. I seem to get caught up moment to moment on what I have to do next. I am perpetually busy. Does anybody else feel like that? We can be honest. You don't have to tell me you have a perfect life. If you do, thank God. And I want to know your secrets. But... I feel like all of us get caught up in the busyness of the moment to moment, the week 
to week, the month to month, and then by the time we notice it's the end of 2021 and I'm still thinking about how 2020 happened. We get busy with work, right? We get busy with family. We get busy with building our lives. We get busy with our health, and then we stay busy. And it keeps us locked and tunnel-visioned on the here and now. But why do we care so much during the week about our work and our family and having to have a better life and trying to fix up around the house and vacuuming? What the heck is vacuuming? Why do I care about that? Why do I care about what my outside of my apartment building looks like? Why do I care about doing the best for my family and trying my best in general? The engine that drives that, what is it? It's hope. See, I hope to have a good day at work and earn a paycheck. I hope to build a good family. We hope that our money isn't going to just crash and fail us. I know we're all feeling the inflation this year. I've seen the gas prices. I tried to stay home. It's my excuse to stay home. I like staying home. We put hope into the people around us and into the relationships we make. What we are hoping for and what we are hoping in is what drives us, and it's what pushes us forward to keep us going and repeating the same thing week after week. But is it our end goal? Is what you hope for and what drives you your ultimate hope in life? Is this all there is? I'm going to give you a spoiler. If your ultimate hope is placed in anything but Christ Jesus, it's going to fail you. I had a huge amount of hope past week, last week, because uh, I got to go see Spider-Man. The new one came out. I've been waiting for this movie for a long time. I had a lot of hope, a lot of anticipation. It all paid off, praise God, but it wasn't my ultimate end goal hope, because if it was, that would have been really sad. Just like if we put all of our hope into money, or even worse, cryptocurrency like Bitcoin. Does anybody remember the beginning of last year when that, um, that smaller coin came out and people became millionaires overnight? So everybody started buying crypto. And all my friends would tell me, well, <laughs> did, you, uh, did you buy some Dogecoin this week? And I'd be like, dude, you work at Dunkin'. Don't try to tell me about stock investing, about Bitcoin. But that's where everybody's hope went for a few months. And then in April, when it all crashed, everybody freaked out. They all lost money. Their hope was all shattered and gone. The truth is, we have no control over our money. It's volatile. The economy can just crash, and we can't do anything about it. Some of us, we put our hope in being a wife, or a husband, or a mother, or a father, or being that one person that everybody likes. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, and I hate to break it to you, and I feel like you've all found out already, people are going to let you down. That's why we shouldn't place our hope into them. Um, even all of us pursuing sanctification and pursuing righteousness are still imperfect people. Um, some of us even put our hope into our health and into our bodies, and I think with last year, we can all see that's not a great idea. Everything can change in an instant. We even put our hope into our identity, into our gender, into our race, into our politics. Have you ever met a libertarian? You wouldn't know if you have. I am one. We can talk afterwards. I have some very high thoughts about taxes. We lose ourselves trying to find ourselves because we lose sight of God. Because our hope is then placed in ourselves and not in God. And don't get me wrong. 
It is good to hope to be financially stable. It is good to hope to have a good job. It is good to hope for solid relationships. It's good to hope to meet somebody who you can love and who reciprocates that love. It's good to hope to have a family. It is good to hope for good health and to be who you were meant to be within God's plan. But if these things become your ultimate hope, they will fail you. If we put our hope into fleeting things of this world, what is our outcome going to be? Anxiety and depression. Don't get me wrong. I do not mean chemical anxiety. I do not mean chemical depression. I mean situational and emotional. If I'm constantly worrying about having to pay my bills and what my next paycheck is going to be, I'm going to be constantly anxious about how much I'm making. I'm going to work overtime. I'm going to get depressed because now I'm not able to go see Spider-Man. You get what I'm saying? We are very pro-mental health here. Um, We very much believe that if you are taking meds for it, keep taking meds for it. Go outside, get some sunshine, take some vitamins, drink some water. You're doing great. What I am saying is that when we put our hope into fleeting things, the inevitable will happen. They will fail. And our bodies and our minds are going to respond in the only way they know how to respond. We get so caught up in our weeks and so ton envisioned on our lives, we don't think about eternity. When was the last time you thought about eternity? When was the last time you thought about your soul? I haven't thought my soul in years, and I'm in Bible college. Like, I'm supposed to think about that thing every day. When was the last time you thought about the souls around you? When was the last time the weightfulness of eternity impacted you? Are we, as a church, as Christians, eternally focused, or are we only focused on the here And now, are we worried about our paychecks, our mortgages? Are we worried about that guy or that girl that hasn't texted back in over a week? Just let it go. You'll be okay. Are you worried about what you will look like before the throne of God? Or what the outcomes for your loved ones before the throne of God will look like? Are we as a church eternity-focused, has eternal weightfulness, really grasped our hearts and our souls? I would hope the answer to that is yes. So what do we do? I give you a whole bunch of bad news there, right? Can't hope for anything. Got to hope in this one thing. How do you do it? Paul writes in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 15, as Dave just read for us. I'm going to read again just very quickly. Um, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to everyone. It instructs us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live sensible, upright, and godly lives in our present age as we await the blessed hope and glorious appearance of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people of his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Speak these things as to encourage and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. Paul is saying to not let the things of this world become your ultimate hope because you already have a blessed hope in Jesus Christ who came and was born for you 2,000 years ago yesterday. That's not an approximate. It's somewhere in there, you know? This doesn't mean that because we have a blessed hope that we will have a perfect life. It doesn't mean we won't suffer. It doesn't mean life won't be hard. It doesn't mean we're not going to be broke at times or have health issues. But what it does mean is that the God who ordained you for salvation and has appointed you as a citizen of heaven has given you hope to resist the world and persevere for him. 
that no matter what the here and now brings and has in store for us, something much greater, and we can turn our eyes upon Jesus and focus on him, put our hope into him and this world and what it considers glory, what it considers valuable, what it longs to draw your hope to, will go dim compared to him. Because he has already taken care of all these things. Paul would write in Romans 8.18, I consider that my present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Whatever this world holds, good or bad, what comes after is so much greater and it's worth suffering through here. So do not misplace your hope. Put it in Christ Jesus. If the blessed hope gets us to glory, so what is glory then, huh? What is life everlasting? Uh, It's the new earth and the new Jerusalem. And if you've never read the book of Revelation, you have no idea what that means. That's just some nonsense words. Uh, And if you haven't read the book of Revelation, you're missing out. It's the coolest book in the Bible. There's a dragon, there's a four-headed beast, there's angels, there's battles, there's horses, there's guys riding horses. I guess that's not as exciting. That's throughout the Bible. Um, But it's the fun book of the Bible. It's the book we get made of, made fun of the most for as Christians. But it gives us this glimpse of what the afterlife will look like, a new, perfected earth. Uh, I just want to take a sidebar for a quick second. Those things are called eschatology. They're called the study of the end times. When it comes to theological doctrine, we call it eschatology. Um, It is good to have hope in eschatology. It is good to have hope that our God is coming back and that he is great and he will be returning in power. It is good to know the signs and to see them, but it is not good to have an obsessive hope in the end times that outweighs the weightfulness of the gospel for the here and now. See, now I reversed it on you. You saw that? It was all about eternity. Now it's about the here and now. I know it's really easy to turn on the TV or scroll through Facebook and be like, world's ending, just shut it off and walk away. I've seen the statue of the bird cat in front of the UN. I already know about it. Please don't talk to me after service about it. I'm kidding. You can come talk to me. I love the thing. It's weird. I've also seen the YouTube video breakdowns of the Omicron virus and how if you change the letters and change them into Greek, it becomes Satan reigns. I've seen all of this. I've seen the nonsense. I don't have much to do sometimes, so that's how I spend my days. I can tell you without a doubt, neither of those things have to do with the end times. When the end times comes, we will all know. It will be dramatic, it will be larger, it will be crazy, it will be fun. Because we know how it ends. Because we have the blessed hope. So instead of putting our energy and our time into looking to the sky and saying, Where are you, Lord? The signs are here. There's a Mercedes over there, and it's black, and that's the black horse. I know it. We should be taking our energy and our time entering the gospel with everyone we meet because that is the eternal weightfulness of eschatology. It is not for us to say, well, we know where we're going, but it's for us to say, hey, do you know where you could be going? So let's get back on track. That was my TED Talk. Thank you for being here for it. The new earth is formed and believers are resurrected like Christ was resurrected. A few months ago, uh, we did a walk through Corinthians, if anybody remembers that. That was a fantastic time. I love that book. We have lots of good series here, I'm just saying. Uh, But we're going to retouch on something we talked about with the resurrection from Corinthians. In Corinthians 15, verses 42 to 44, Paul writes to the church in Corinth, So is it with the resurrection of the dead that sown is perishable and what is raised is imperishable? 
It is sown in dishonor and is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness and is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. When he is saying what is sown and raised, he is talking about our death and our resurrection. He's talking about our physical bodies dying, our spiritual bodies being raised. When I say spiritual body, I do not mean ghost. We do not become ghosts. We don't get to haunt people, as disappointing as that may sound. We are not ethereal. We also will not be angels. We will never be angels. The Bible, in fact, tells us that we are greater than the angels, and they're pretty great. They have a ton of wings and a billion eyes. That's awesome. But because of what Christ did for us, it has put us above them. So resurrection for us is like the body Christ walked out of the tomb with. Matt Chandler has a great sermon on the resurrection. I highly recommend it. Um, And he would say that when we talk about resurrection, we need to make sure we're talking about resurrection and not resuscitation. What that means is that we will be resurrected like Christ and not like Lazarus. Christ was resurrected in perfection. He was brought into his new spiritual body, a perfected body that will never die again. Lazarus was resuscitated back into the body he died with. He was still under the sin of curse. The sin of curse, whoa. The curse of sin. And he had to die again. His resurrection was just a returnal to his fallen state. He was still bound by his flesh. He still had to live life as a mortal. We will not be resuscitated. We will not be risen back into these bodies. And that is where our hope lies. These bodies will be dead. They will be gone. We will be resurrected into a perfected body that is indestructible, that is unkillable, because death has been defeated and because Christ has won the victory. And I am so glad we will not be back in these bodies because I have had joint issues since I was 12. I remember being at my friend's house, kneeling down to pick something up, getting up, my knees cracking, and his mom going, What? And staring at me like I was 40. She's like, how, what just happened to you? I'm like, oh yeah, I got bad knees. She's like, you're 12. You should never say that saying. I also have a weird lung condition that, I don't know, the doctor looked at me once and said, I don't know what's wrong with you. You just get pneumonia each year. I'm like, hey, cool. Thanks. That's great. I love bronchitis. It's a great time. I also have the thyroid of a grandma, specifically my grandma. It's hereditary. Um, and the new thing, my eyes are starting to go. I got this huge phone, like, opens, and I was, like, telling people, oh, yeah, it's, it's so cool, you know, you could watch Netflix on it, and it looks great, and I can play games on it, and they look fantastic. That's all, that's all bulk, man. It's because it got bigger font. I can read the pages on here. It's great. It, it's, it's awesome. Uh, and I'm far too stubborn to get glasses or to go to an eye doctor. If I was brought back into this body... I would have to die again. The hope of the resurrection is that we are raised from the dead and our old bodies are gone. And we are given perfected ones to live in eternity with Christ. God is not going to resuscitate our broken bodies so that we can live in anguish in his new and perfect creation. These bodies need to die. They are under the curse of sin. They need to be done away with. We, as a spiritual being, are not under the curse of sin because of what Christ did, and hence we get a new perfected body. 
God would not feel his perfect creation, the new earth and the new Jerusalem he is making for us, with broken bodies that can't utilize it and can't worship him to their fullest. Our hope lies in God, that we will be made anew, and we can leave what we have dealt with on this earth behind us as we move into eternity with him. Praise the Lord, I don't have to deal with these joints anymore in eternity. So do we think about eternity? I was listening to Kevin D. Young a few weeks ago. If you don't know who he is, I go listen to him. He's fantastic. He's awesome. He's really nerdy, too. I love the way he looks. It's great. He kind of looks like Inspector Gadget, and that's what drew me, like, drew me to him. Um, but I highly recommend him, his sermons, his writings. He's a great author. Uh, and he had something to say that really shook me and actually grieved my spirit. There was like a whole day I spent like, woe is me, God, like Jeremiah walking around. Um, and he said that heaven and the new Jerusalem, the new earth, will be over the overwhelming holiness of God. The Lord of heaven is a holy God. The angels are holy. The saints are holy. And if we are not interested in a holy God now, if all of our hope is placed into the things of this earth, then what part of us wills to go to heaven? You will not be happy there if you are not holy here. Man, I cried. I was like, am I holy? I don't know. I do a lot of things that I probably shouldn't do. I have a lot of hope in things I shouldn't have hope in. It made me think about all the things in my life that just aren't holy, that aren't up to God's standard. It made me reevaluate where my hope lies. I remember being so distraught, and I went and I talked to a friend, and I said, at what point do the relationships that I have with people who abhor God become idolatrous? To think that the people I spend my time with can lead me away from holiness, I've never even thought of that before. And I'm not saying don't spend time with people who aren't up to the Christian standard. I'm saying that when there are people who have specifically said, I want nothing to do with God, get God out of my face, I don't want him here, don't have that really close relationship with them. I've been holding on to those for so long because it hurts to get rid of people in our lives. My hope was placed into them. If my heart is not set on things above while here, then why would I ever want to go there? It's a hard one. It's a tough one. It's a heavy one. It's something we, we have to think about. Are our hearts set on holiness? In closing, how do, how do we take all this and we put a big bow on it for Christmas and we wrap it and we say, this is the good we take away from it. What's our application? Let us have our hope in Christ, for he is our blessed hope. Let our minds be set to eternity, and let our hearts long for holiness of God. Let us forsake the world and endure its suffering. And as the Apostle Paul said, both things will pale in comparison to the glory of what is to come. As we go into this next week and this new year, which is coming up in a week, wow, let's ask ourselves, do we hope for money, for the fulfillment, for our fulfillment and our satisfaction, or for the good that it brings as a blessing from God? Is my end goal to be with someone or to have someone like me, or is it to have meaningful relationships with those around me that are focused on eternity? Is what I do on this earth impacting my soul and the souls around me? And I think we can break that all down into two questions, and I hope they stay with you as you go into this new year. 
Are we, as a church and as Christians, eternity-driven? And for the second one, where does your hope lie? Let me pray for you guys. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the blessed hope that you gave us in your Son, Jesus Christ, who came here as a baby born in the worst conditions possible so no man can say, well, he's too much for me. I'm not good enough for him. And Father, we thank you for the sacrifice he would give so that we can have eternal life with you. And Lord, I ask that our hearts be turned to you and your holiness and our minds be set on eternity, God. Father, guide us as we move into this new year. Be with us, be in us, be on us, Lord. We thank you, God, for what you have done and for what your Son has done. And in his name, we ask these things and we pray these things. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Sunday's sermon at Restoration Road. We hope it blessed you and invite you to join us for next service at 10 a.m. on Sunday. God bless.